Cassie's favorite thing, which is metal. I mean, a lot of a lot of these are metal groups that we're going to discuss on the show today because uh, this article's from WeAreThePit.com. So I'm assuming that they're ignoring other sorts of groups that have replaced lead singers. Have you been uh, in like a mosh pit mosh pit? I know you were in the one for what was it? Fucking Rise Against or whatever. No, no, who was it? You were in some sort of Kesha. <laughs> I almost died. It was Kesha. That's what um, it was. Uh, no, I got k- kicked in the face one time at Warp Tour. Got a bloody nose. Is it Warp Tour if you didn't get kicked in the face? Um, it wasn't then. I got kicked in the face at one of the groups that we're going to talk about today is Mosh Pit. Okay. Who? Uh, Anthrax. They were one of the first bands that were playing at the, like, I think it was the Carolina Rebellion back then. And I was, I just got to the festival. I was like so fucking excited. I was like, later, guys. And I ran up to the pit and I like crowd surfed into it. Uh, I got like kicked or kneed in the fucking nose. It broke my glasses. <laughs> and then they like dropped me on the outside of the pit. And I was like, well, goddamn. You know, that was a rough start. And now I have the whole rest of the fucking weekend to go. I was like, um, okay. Split my lip and everything. Mm, mine wasn't that bad. I don't know why I was doing shit like that when I didn't have health insurance. Now I have health insurance and I'm still not fucking, I'm not doing it anymore, but it, you do not <laughs> get you recommend know, it. mosh pit if you don't have health insurance. Like, what the fuck? That could have gone really poorly. Uh, Jake, Jake's been in like one mosh pit, two mosh pits. He just went to a slaughter to prevail show and didn't even know that they did a wall of death. That, that's fucking wild to well, me. Well, I, I couldn't see it. I was, I was off on the sidelines by the bar chilling with the homies and there's a lot of taller people than than me there so i knew they were doing something i just couldn't see specifically what until you showed me showed me the video Everybody's i just remember yelling. seeing the security guards out there with their flashlights making sure nobody was dying i mean it is called the wall of death yeah so but yeah the, the last pit i was in was the last uh slipknot show and i did not get to see the show because i was in the wall of the pit and it was just Nothing. I had to keep looking over my shoulder to push a bunch of sweaty dudes off me. <laughs> I yeah. hate that. So for you. Right. yeah, and then I uh, I forget what show I was at. It was I think it was at Shaka's or something. And it, and it wasn't Testament. Who the hell? It was two old thrash metal bands. And Exodus, I was at this probably maybe yeah. And I was at the front, like right on the stage, and the pit was behind me. You've told this story before. Where you lost your glasses, Have, and yeah. somebody saved them I, for you. Somebody I bumped into glasses. me. My glasses <laughs> fell off onto the floor. I could not see them. Luckily, the guy next to me saw it, picked them up before they got stomped. Yeah. So today, uh, anyways, mosh pits. Yeah. Today we're going to talk talk about uh, ten bands who successfully replaced their lead singers, because that's generally something that can be make or break you know oh, you yeah. lose your singer you're pretty much fucked like, these, you should just actually... change your name and become a different band unless you kick them out and because they're terrible and then it's weird move on i think a lot of people associate the voice with the band so like they can change lineups and casual fans won't really notice if it's a different musician but when it's a different yeah. singer people really do take notice hmm. yeah one of these groups we actually talked about recently we've talked about a handful of them in general but yeah uh let's fucking do it so this is from the pit.com by jeff Tarek. so i think we're just gonna go around the horn Popcorn. on this one yes and before uh, we do that oh, uh, we shit. should let you know that we are death by music <laughs> podcast well, i am you jake we're supposed to do that i did i just did okay. were you not paying attention thanks for doing that <laughs> he's jake uh, and i'm here with cassie and alex and uh we're gonna Hello? hop right into the Pit. pit. We're gonna here. jump into Hi. the pit. Oh, oh, do you want me to remove that cat? 
don't. That's our new podcast, Kira. You'll never hear oh, because she doesn't terrible. talk. She's so skinny. Yeah, she's old. She's so skinny. She's old. Hello. All right. Well, I'm glad that she's quiet. Honestly, she's super respectful of our show <laughs> and what we're trying to do here. Um, so thank you to Kira, the podcat. But yeah. All right. So the lineup of a band. Ha- Don't be doing that the whole episode. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the lineup of a band has rarely, if ever, been a sacred thing. See how often the nameless ghouls of ghosts end up being rotated out of the congregation or endless lists of players in Megadeth over the past four decades. Well, not endless. 25 players not counting session musicians Kira wants to say okay something. so she is gonna be annoying she's headbutting the microphone yeah i'm surprised she's yeah standing on you she doesn't do you normally want do her that. that close to your face <laughs> but try to replace the voice and in many cases the face of the band and see how difficult it is to retain interest for better or for worse, a vocalist is often the least replaceable part of the band. That's why they have such big fucking egos. Mm-hmm. In large part because they're the most visible member of the group. They sing the words we memorize. They're front and center on stage when we see them live. Unless you're watching Tool, in which case Maynard James Keenan's behind the drum set facing <laughs> the side. It's really strange. Huh. Uh, but at least in terms of heavy music, it's not that uncommon to see a band cycle through a few singers. And even more than that, still retain their audience's interest. Sometimes it's due to a game changer of a record that introduces a blockbuster element like Bruce Dickinson's debut on Iron Maiden's The Number of the Beast. Or sometimes it's because the successor knows that they have to step up their game like Brian Johnson taking the baton from Bon Scott. But there's there's a surprising (laughs) amount of bands who didn't just introduce a new singer, they actually thrived afterwards. Here are 10 metal and hard rock bands who were able to pull off a lead singer recasting without missing a beat. Since we already mentioned them, we will start with ACDC. Jake? Right. Uh, There's no replacing a singer like Bon Scott. There's only passing over the reins. ACDC's original vocalist, Scott, belted with a singular screech that gave his ribald and absurd tales of big balls in Dirty Deeds a rough, edgy badassery, Uh, which made the possibility of uh, of a successor taking over after his death of alcohol poisoning in 1979 seem all the more unlikely. Enter Brian Johnson, a singer who Scott himself admired and who had, uh, who had the voice to match. At the urging of Scott's family, the band soldiered on and brought in Johnson on the first day of auditions. Naturally, he nailed it, even though the group was polite enough to run the rest of the potential singers who planned to audition. That's kind of nice of them, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a waste of fucking time, if yeah, you ask me. But, but... Eh. Uh, with the formalities out of the way, the group recorded their first uh, album with Johnson, Back in Black, and the reception wildly uh, exceeded expectations, becoming their best-selling album at 25 million copies sold and counting. I gotta be honest, like, before I knew that there were two different singers in ACDC, I did not, I wouldn't have been able to tell. I I was gonna say the same thing, I had no idea. I think it's because their first album came out with him on it, you know? I feel... No, they had Dirty Deeds and whatever had uh, Bon Scott on it. Those were his songs, so but when I think of the the vocal, if I just think of it, I can't tell the difference between... Bon Scott's voice and Brian Johnson's yeah. voice. Maybe if I heard the song side by side, but I've never actually listened to it like that. Like, yeah, I can't. Put them on shuffle and see which one's which. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can't fucking tell. Yeah. 
because they both have weird voices. Maybe it's the whole being Australian thing. I that is kind of weird. I don't. It is super fucking weird. <laughs> they from you back know home. the toilets flush in the opposite direction down there. There's lots of spiders, so I've heard. Anyway, spiders. Uh, I don't know. Is that Australian? Alice in Chains. They're not Australian, but the death of Lane Staley in 2002 brought a sad end to a band that hit their early stride and delivered three of the best albums from the Seattle grunge era. And for several years, that seemed like it would have been the end as the surviving members of Alice in Chains had moved on to collaborating with other artists. Eventually, they participated in a handful of one-off reunions with other vocalists, including Hearts and Wilson and Come With The Falls' William Duvall. Is he related to Shelley Duvall? Um, from that point on, Duvall continued on with the band He's releasing. Black. Oh, so no. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but probably not. Could be. Um, he continued on with the band, releasing three studio albums with the group, most recently 2018's Rainier Fog. The band said they weren't looking for a vocalist to imitate Stanley's vocals, which is in large part why it works. Duvall is a commanding singer in his own right, bringing something new to a band that unexpectedly got a much welcome second act. Yeah, um, that's kind of like what Queen did. Yeah, with yeah. Adam Lambert. Yeah, he's he, he doesn't try to be Freddie. No, he does not try to like imitate his voice at all. He just is also another great singer who's singing the same words. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a song on Alice in Chains' album "Black Gives Way to Blue" that is from. 2009 so they came out with this album black gives way to blue and the song on it check my brain it's so fucking good like yeah william duvall shared vocal duties with jerry cantrell so it works in a way it still sounds just like alice in chains to me because jerry cantrell's doing those harmonies oh on yeah it. yeah and to me a big part of alice in chains is his harmonies mm-hmm. so i can convince myself that it's the original Alice in Chains. It's just a new song. So that that song's really badass if you guys want to check it out, which I think you should. Because I think a lot of people wrote them off once they got a new singer. They were like, fuck that. I'm not listening to them. But they do have some good stuff. I've never listened to them. That's a lie. She says with a smile on her face. <laughs> okay. I'm just making sure. <laughs> All right. So the third one is where I got kicked in the face. Anthrax. Thrash icons Anthrax have a habit of rotating vocalists, having cycled through nine different singers in their time. Holy shit, I didn't realize wow. that. Though only three of them appear on any of their studio albums. Neil Turbin, Joey Belladonna, and John Bush. It becomes a game of musical chairs after that, beginning with Turbin on the group's 1984 full-length debut fistful of metal but within a year he ended up being replaced by belladonna whose powerful vocal presence solidified the band's classic lineup yeah this is the guy that i think i'm most familiar with um appearing on legendary albums like spreading the disease and among the living but the group parted ways with belladonna in 92 replacing it with john bush whose similarly impressive range on songs like only and black lodge helped push anthrax onto the billboard mainstream rock songs chart after that, both Belladonna and Bush were briefly in a tag team match to take over vocals, with Dan Nelson taking over for a brief stint in the late 2000s. Belladonna's been at the helm ever since, though Bush arguably had a similarly strong, if less prolific, run with the Big Four legend. Dang, I'm forgetting about all these groups that are on this list. I was trying to remember who the guy with the goatee and, and Anthrax was. That's that Scott, Scott Ian. Ian. Yeah. He's guitar, right? Or bass? His name always sounds backwards. It should be Ian Scott. Ian Scott. Scott Ian. 
I don't know. I just remember I first saw him because when I was a kid and I would watch like those VH1 specials. Yeah. Like he I was love always the 80s. on those things. Yeah. yeah, like that was such a good idea. Like I feel like they asked random fucking people to be on those, but yeah. all there's like a whole generation of people who are like Scott Ian, the guy from Anthrax, and like would have never known that if he wasn't on those VH1 right. specials. Yeah. So on to Black Sabbath. There's no heavy metal without Black Sabbath, full stop. Their sound is monolithic, the product of four distinctive musicians playing heavier and darker than anyone before them. Take away any one of those musicians and it just isn't the same, especially without the commanding presence of Ozzy Osbourne, as irreplaceable as lead singers come. Or so it seemed until the band kicked him out in 1979 when drug and alcohol uh, use had brought everything to a standstill. Pretty fucking ballsy, though. But uh, if they weren't getting any work done, then it's like, yeah, might as well just get the fuck rid of him. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you're going to bring in someone to fill Ozzy's shoes, it's got to be a ringer at a minimum. Former Rainbow Belter Ronnie James Dio provided just what the band needed. His magnetic and theatrical presence giving Sabbath a necessary shot in the arm as well as the creative jolt to deliver two classic albums with 1980's Heaven and Hell and 81's Mob Rules. After internal disputes caused Dio to part ways with the rest of the band, they gave it a go with a series of other vocalists, Ian, uh, Ian Gillian, Glenn Hughes. Yeah, the guy we just talked about yeah. from uh, Deep Purple. Uh, Tony Martin with Diminishing Returns and at least until re- you're at least yeah at least until reuniting with dia once more before finally bringing ozzy back man that sounds hectic <laughs> now this next group we saw at the barbecue i think we must have mentioned this in like oh. 2013 or something crazy wasn't like that, that long ago was 2016 it? maybe yeah no it was 2015 it was a long it was almost 10 years ago yeah but- i was like i feel like th- i mean they play warp toward yeah, they're such a weird band, but I, I they were weirder when we first saw them because I didn't understand what the fuck was going on. Like their singer had gotten stuck on a plane or something like his flight was delayed, so he couldn't make it. But there was some guy who was there that could he like knew all of their songs and he played the vocalist, but on a trombone. So like That's, instead of oh, so he thought it was like like half ska. I half. was so confused because he like interesting they, for some reason the vocalist couldn't be there. Maybe he was a guy who was already in the band. I don't fucking know. But somebody was like doing the vocal melodies on trombone. He might have been like the the guitar tech or something, and was just like, I know it. I know trombone. Let me I do just this. so I just so happened to bring <laughs> yeah. my trombone with me. Put me in. Coach. I don't think it was like a random dude from the crowd that was like, I can only play these on trombone. Yeah. If you put me I in, I bring it with me everywhere <laughs> just in case we get put no, in this I don't opportunity. Think that's what happens. He was probably I, if somebody knows the, the real story about what happened with that, can you please let me know? Because like <laughs> I just remember this weird fucking situation where there's a guy on stage with, like with a trombone, like screaming you, with a trombone. Did you skank in the audience is that what that's called mm-hmm. oh gross you'll be Skanking. happy to know that there's a ska festival coming to our area ah uh, we can all skank together like, i was like bring your own trumpet if you or bring mm-hmm. pick it up pick it up bring your own brass and then you get a free ticket that's not true so don't listen to me all right anyways dillinger escape plan well <laughs> they're from new about. jersey if that says anything Uh-oh. um they made their full-length debut in 1999 with calculating infinity i didn't realize they'd been around that long Mm-mm. um and utterly an utterly bonkers showcase of technical prowess and sheer aggression matched by the suitably harsh bark of vocalist dimitri minakakis 
Menekakis. Menekakis. Oh, maybe, they, maybe they're going to tell us about the, they replaced their vocalist with a guy with a trombone. Maybe. <laughs> After he left the band, however, they didn't rush to find a new vocalist. Instead, they put a trombone member on stage. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, uh, taking the opportunity to do once uh, a one-time collaboration with Faith No More slash Mr. Bungle vocal acrobat Mike Patton on the Irony is a Dead Scene EP. Once the group found a worthy successor in Greg Pucciato. Pucciato. Um, however, his versatility as a vocalist, able to transition seamlessly to a menacing growl to a heroic croon, helped mm. the group expand their sound, ushering in more melodic and progressive elements as they continue to reign as mathcore kings. I feel like this is probably the ones, the one that I heard was this l- Greg Pucciato guy. Oh, I shit. Here we go. You didn't but even hear one. Right on to Faith No More. So it took a while <sighs> for things to settle for Faith No More in the beginning. They went through two name changes from Shark... What? Sharp Young Men, then Faith <laughs> No <young> Man, man. <laughs> uh, and went through a revolving door cast of singers, including briefly Courtney Love, weird, mm. before releasing their debut album Introduce Yourself with Chuck Mosley. That line... That lineup yielded their first hit, We Care a Lot, but Mosley's erratic behavior eventually led to his firing from the band in 1988. Faith No More then enlisted Mr. Bungle's Mike Patton the same year, and within two weeks of joining, he had written all of his lyrics for the songs on The Real Thing, which earned the band a Grammy nomination and an MTV staple with Epic. And though the band went on hiatus for a decade and Patton's been active with seemingly countless other projects his vocal acrobatics have been a perfect match for their idiosyncratic metal sound ever since i saw them in germany at a music festival where on that same stage it was hate breed exodus testament and metallica and then it was faith no more which was like super fucking weird and they all came out in these like white suits and they had flowers all over the stage and everyone was like what the fuck because it was like all these thrash heads and it was just weird but it was good they did a good job on to Iron Maiden. Uh, Iron. The introdu- introduction. <laughs> oh, God. Gosh. This is what you get when you read um, wrong on purpose. Now yeah. you're going to start fucking well, I'm up. I'm picking it up from Cassie. Um, the introduction. I don't do it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> the introduction of Bruce Dickinson to the Iron Maiden lineup was a game changer. Oh, yeah. While their first two albums featuring the raspy will of Paul Diano Dia- are unquestionably great early 80s heavy metal records, bringing Dickinson into the fold in 1982's The Number of the Beast, gave the band the operatic presence needed to become the heavy metal legends they are now. Though technically speaking, Dickinson was all uh, was actually the fourth Iron Maiden vocalist. Paul Day and Dennis Wilcock each served as the group's lead singer for a short time in the band's early days in the mid and in the mid-90s, Blaze Bailey stopped in as the band's fifth vocalist, taking over for Dickinson after Dickinson left the group to focus on his solo career. But in 2000, with the release of, uh, with the, release of the outstanding comeback Brave New World, Iron Maiden reunited with their iconic singer, proving once and for all who's uh, the strongest set of pipes in uh, heavy metal belong to. Um, <laughs> Cassie's got this band... Do you know how to pronounce that? Kveller talk. No. They're actually really, oh, okay. they're super interesting. So I was introduced to them as black and roll. So like rock and roll, but it's black metal. It's interesting because they have this like iconic sort of rock and roll sound or like these riffs, but the vocals are like black metal screechy. 
it's really interesting. So I definitely okay. say, like, check it out if you like either one of those genres. Cassie, you would fucking hate it. But <laughs> it's it's super weird, but nobody else is doing it. Um, So they're a Norwegian black and roll outfit who won over fans like Metallica's James Hetfield and Foo Fighters' David Girl. So you have to like them. On the strength of their <laughs> unique hybrid of rowdy party hardcore with black metal aesthetics, chiefly the throaty growl of... Erland? Erland Hjelvik. Okay. Um, but after 10 years and three albums, Hjelvik announced, <laughs> pronounced, <laughs> I can't pronounce it, um, he was ready to leave the group, launching into his own Viking metal project, Helvik, two years later. But the remaining mo- members of Kvertlek, that one Uh, soldiered on with Ivar Nicholson who previously lent his backing vocals to the band's debut album and whose aggressive snarl made him for a seamless fit for the group all right so next up I know how to pronounce that we've got (laughs) Napalm Death Grindcore pioneers Napalm Death first began making music more than 40 years ago what the fuck that's crazy which is a marathon span of time for any band to be expected to keep their lineup intact. But for this group in particular, their personnel is something of a heavy metal equivalent of the Ship of Theseus conundrum, replacing a new member every couple of years until it raises the question of who the real Napalm Death is. (laughs) Dang. Past members include, among others, Carcass's Bill Steer and Godflesh's Justin Broderick. Since 1989... Barney Greenway has been the band's full-time vocalist. The fire from his throat scorching the politically charged rippers on 15 of their albums. Jesus. Napalm Deaths first released two albums with Lee Dorian behind the mic, as well as one side of their debut album, Scum, with Nick Bulin. Despite being one of the most important extreme metal bands of all time, none of the members who perform on Scum stayed in the band. Weird, yet Greenway has kept going for over 30 years, pushing the band forward while bringing an even greater ferocity to the Birmingham Legends sound. Scum is a good band name, not an album name. There probably is a band named Scum. (laughs) I would imagine. Jake, you've heard of this next group before. I believe I have. They're a little obscure. Uh... The Pantera of metal magic scarcely resembles the one uh, that became metal legends in the 1990s. Granted, the Abbott brothers were still just teenagers and heavy metal was still a pretty young genre itself. But the group's first vocalist, Harry Glaze, though decent enough, did little to set the group apart. It wasn't until Glaze left the group over disagreements about the band's musical direction and Phil Anselmo subsequently joining the group in 1986 and debuting with the release of 1988's Power Metal, that that Pantera began to come into their own. Uh, yeah, so Pantera, not only did they undergo a vocalist change, but they also changed genres. Because I think, wasn't it, they started off being kind of hair metal? I think they were going like hair glam metal. Yeah, they were doing something Phil different, and, and he didn't want to do hair metal, and then Phil came in. They did one hair metal album, which you like. it's really hard to find. You have to go on YouTube. like It's not on Spotify or anything. They've wiped it yeah. from existence. Hmm. And then they went to create their own fucking genre, basically. That's interesting. And there are some other bands. Obviously, we know Journey. Now, Journey didn't just go through... Oh, yeah. One vocalist changed. They went through two. They had like two or three, I want to say, albums before Steve Perry joined up. And they weren't, they just weren't. Their shit was not hitting. And then they got Steve Perry and he took them to the next level. And all of those albums were like killer. And then 
when they kicked him out because I'm, I'm assuming it was because he couldn't hit those fucking notes anymore you know it's hard to sing like that and then they got that dude arnel pineda from the philippines that he, they saw oh, him yeah, doing the, the karaoke, karaoke. <laughs> yeah yeah he, didn't didn't the other guy die though or they just kicked him out. Steve Perry, he's still alive. He just, I don't oh, think okay. he can sing. He was the one who was holding it back. Because you can play guitar forever, you know, until you get like arthritis or whatever. Yeah. Like you can play guitar. We could look it up. I'm going to. You know, on the last episode, we Googled all kinds of shit. Like what's a Siamese twin? And this <laughs> this week, I don't feel like it. I will say I've it. seen Journey Live with their newest singer. Yeah. And... He had so much more energy than the rest of the band. He was jumping to and from. Yeah, it was just really interesting to watch (laughs) him jump around like crazy, and everyone else was just like, Uh, "Whoa, okay." So I was wrong. I actually just found it. Why did Steve Perry stop singing? It's because he hurt his hip. (laughs) and he needed a hip replacement and he felt like music had left his heart and he needed to focus on his health Hmm. wow i really thought it was about his voice back in the 80s it was a result of his recent solo success and he was indifferent toward the band so the second time was because of the hip all right well good thing we looked that up because usually i'm spot on with my shit but maybe i'm thinking of boston because um, I know Brad Delp had some issues with the band, and I think it was because he couldn't sing anymore. Somebody, I'm getting, I'm pulling this shit from somewhere. But until then, rest in peace. Later. That was weird. Cass is so old recording. <laughs> Death by Music podcast is written and produced by Victoria Motler, Alex Motler, Cassie Gardner, and Jake.